There's a lot of people here. I came in, I said, boy, there's a lot of people. Boy, there's a lot of people. You know, I really wish I could do a better Trumpsfeld. Like, I don't need to do a, Trump, a Trumpsfeld impression, but it, it brings me so much joy. It, it's not even, I don't want to do a, a good Trumpsfeld impression for anybody else, just for me. You know, I was talking a few weeks ago about Shane Gillis doing a really good one. The comedian Shane Gillis. The comedian Shane Gillis. This guy, he, he does a really good impression. Have you seen this guy? He does a really good Trumpsfeld impression. and Because he was just saying how like Trumpsfeld says something. And then he, he like takes a step back and says says it again. But as if it's like third person or something. like. And that was the example he used. I'm just ripping him off. And I'm doing a poor job of it. But just... A lot of people here. I, I came in. I said, "Boy, there's a lot of people." It's like he says the thing, like there's a lot of people, and then it's, "I said there were a lot of people." He does it with everything. I relate to it. That's the thing about it. It's like a mutation of the way I think. I'm not even kidding. And you know, uh, Norm McDonald. Norm Mac Norm McDonald had a farm. Uh, stupid. See, here's the thing. Some people cut. Some people are cutters. Like they cut their flesh. I'm that, but I say stupid shit sometimes. Like Norm MacDonald had a farm, which is probably one of the dumbest things anybody's ever said out loud. Norm MacDonald had a farm. I'm sure a million idiots. I'm sure, I'm sure a million smart people have made that joke. It's like cutting to me. I say really, I make really stupid jokes sometimes. I think it's the same thing that teenagers are doing when they take a razor blade to their arm. I had a girlfriend who was a cutter. She wasn't a goth. She wasn't. She wasn't any of that. She was just like a normal girl who, just a normal girl. But she would cut under her armpits to hide it. She didn't do it all the time. Like she had done it a lot when she was younger. Like she had scars on her arms. It was interesting. I, we we didn't really talk about it a lot. But every once in a blue moon, I would notice a fresh cut under her armpit, which was weird. And like I remember one time we had a fight. It just turned. This <laughs> just this turned into me. I can't even talk. This just turned into me talking about like an ex girlfriend eons ago who was a cutter. But it's really I was talking about Trumpsfeld and Norm Macdonald, and here we are. But there was one time we had a fight. Remember she like went off into the bedroom, and then I noticed like fresh cuts. Like I guess she cut herself. But that's me and stupid jokes. Like when she went off into the private bedroom and cut herself. I went off into the bathroom and I was just uh, making really dumb jokes because that's my cutting. But anyway, Norm MacDonald, Norm MacDonald said like to do a good impression of somebody, to actually do a good impersonation, you have to actually love that person. And I think that's very true. I've learned that. And I've noticed that with the Trumpsfeld stuff. Like, not that the people who do good impersonations voted for him even necessarily or, like, love everything about him. But it's like they find the humor in him. They love just, like, the fact that he exists. <laughs> you, you can tell that with, like, Shane Gillis. Like, his impersonation is so good. I don't know what it is. It's not even that it's funny to me. It's just that it's so satisfying to hear someone talk like that. Like, that's the only reason I want to be able to do a Trumpsfeld and I actually feel really bad for anybody who can't find the humor in him. Like, it's amazing to me. It tells me I'm living in a different reality when, like, there's people who see him talk and they're like, oh, I can't. Oh, my God. You asshole. You fucking asshole. Dude. You know, like, there's people who watch Trumpsfeld and do that, who listen to him. And I'm just like, it's not even about, like, 
I'm, it's not that you need to listen to him and nod your head and agree or want him to be your dad. Like you want your dad, <laughs> you, you want your dad. <laughs> I just talked to my dad for three hours the other day. We hadn't talked forever. And I always love talking to my dad. We think alike, but I'm just like imagining if he, he's like so different from that. He's got such a different approach. Uh, he likes him. You know, he li- he likes Trumpsfeld better than any other politicians these days, but uh, he's so different from that. Uh, but but anyway, uh, uh, I feel bad for people though who like they see him and they're they're really upset. And like I'm not even saying they shouldn't be if they if that's how they feel. Like I'm not telling someone to to act differently than how they feel if they even know what the fuck they feel. But it's just crazy to me because it's like. I guess, it, you know, they see him as so bad that that's the sort of reaction he gets. But George Bush didn't even get that reaction. Like George Bush, as far as like what progressive values are today, George Bush was sent, was doing way worse shit and they hated him. But like he didn't create that response in people. Like it really like every time I've watched Trump's and I mean every single time, like I'm not I'm not saying that as a generalization. I, I exaggerate and I generalize all the time. Even just saying all the time is, is an exaggeration because, of course, I don't do it all the time. But I, I can't think of a single time that I've seen Trumpsfeld speak that I haven't laughed. And I don't laugh very much. And so, so it's, I just don't understand what it's like to see him and to actually feel really upset and mad and, ups, you know, just everything. And I feel bad for someone like that. Because like you can you can hate him you can hate him as a politician or whatever and still find him funny. You know my mom was a good example of that. Like my mom hated the fuck out of Trumpsville. Hated the fuck out of him. She just hated him. Like my mom was just kind of like a moderate Democrat as far as her politics. She wasn't very political at all. But she had some friends like middle aged older ladies who hated him too. But my mom didn't have Trump derangement. Like she, I'm sure that her and her girlfriends would go out and talk. Oh, do, you, do you hear what he said today? But like I would, wa- I would be at her house and she'd be watching him on TV because he was on TV 24 hours a day. And she would, she would like her head would tilt all the way back, and she would like, ca- she would like crack, crack whatever you say, crack open. I was gonna say like. I was going to say cackle, and then I, I was going to say crack up. But my mom, her head would tilt back sometimes when he was talking, and she would just like an honest, like deep laughter. Like when he said the whole thing that was like, you know, John McCain was a, you know, a war hero and a prisoner of war. And Trump cell was like, I like the ones that don't get captured. Whatever he said, I like the ones that don't get caught. I like the ones that don't get captured. It was, all my voices are just going to become that if they're not already. I was never going for that. I've been doing, listen to this show. I've been trying to do my voices forever, versions of that. That'd be a funny accusation. Like, you just started doing those, like, stupid New York accents because of Trump's film. You just copy and Trump, that'd be a fun, I, I'd take that. If you told me that, like, my art is ripping off someone else, I would kill you. I'd take out your eyes. But if you told me that my personality or my voice was just like I stole it from Trumpsfeld, I would just laugh. But like I said, I, I already think like him as far as like as far as like the way he talks and everything. 
But my mom would just like burst in laughter. Like she had a, such a sense of humor. Like she would always talk about she hated him. She voted for Hillary. No, she didn't vote. I don't, unless she mailed it in. She was in the hospital with a stroke during that election. But she hated him, but like found the humor. Like we could joke about him. Like she, you know, she understood that. But what's funny about that is, is like none of my peers could. And this was even before he was a real candidate. Back, uh, you know, the girl I was seeing who was super, super left. And I would never categorize people, but now we just, we just categorize people that way. Like at the time, I wouldn't have been like, oh, hey, this is my leftist girlfriend. Because you know she's really far left. People do that. I never would have thought that way. But now I feel like it's important to put people in that context. Like I hate that I have to do that. But it, it tells you about who someone is. But that girlfriend, it was like... All he had done at that point was do like one of his first debates, I think it was. He wasn't even the Republican candidate at that time. It was way before the election. And I'd seen, I'd been at a bar where I saw like this super, super lefty bar, lefty girlfriend, lefty bar. But I'd been this bar earlier, this bar where this huge crowd of people. It was a very lefty bar. Like they crowded in front of the TV to watch Barney, Bernie, Barney, Barney, Bernie. Is that Barney, Bernie? It's a better one. In the past I've called him Barney. It never really was very funny or, or anything. I don't utter their names. I don't utter a politician's real name. I think it's like saying, it's like summoning a demon. I didn't intentionally do that. I just started making up stupid names for these guys, which Trumpsfeld does too, because we think alike. But uh, I started doing that like way back when, just like changing, like just for this show, changing a politician's name. And I, I didn't even do it consciously, but I realized it's like, yeah, it's kind of like uttering a demon's name. So I change it. But anyway, Barney, like I've been calling him Barney for years and it's just never very funny. I like Trumpsfeld. Trumpsfeld to me, that's one of my favorite jokes I've ever made. I don't even know because there's no logic to it. Not to, to dissect and not to dissect my own jokes and like do some sort of inside baseball shit here. But what I like about Trumpsfeld is like, yeah, it brings to mind Donald Rumsfeld, Donald Trump, Donald Rumsfeld. I didn't think that through. It just like came up, and I'm just like, there's something really funny to me about that because there's no reason for it. It's not like they're similar. It's not like when people you know, change someone's name to like some awful person. Like if you came of, came of age when I did, like everybody hated Donald. Uh, <laughs> I don't even, I can't even say Donald Rumsfeld anymore without saying Trumpsfeld, but everybody hated Donald Rumsfeld. He was seen as like this war hawk, this bad guy, but like, he's not similar to Trumpsfeld. He's not like, a, I, don't, I don't know if he's considered a neocon or what, but it's like, they're not, they're not similar at all. It's just, such, it's just such a, a weird, you know, it's not even a comparison. I don't. I don't know. Inside baseball is over. But Barney, like I, I couldn't come up. With, I think Barney, Bernie. I like that one. Barney, Bernie. Barney, Bernie. I like the ring of that. Barney, Bernie was the what I've been looking for. It's even worse. Like I, I always imagine this stupid shit I say if I were to talk to somebody this way. Like I actually did this. After January 666, which is another thing I should say to people, so that there's normal people. Oh, you talking about January 666? Because people wouldn't even know how to respond to that. 
they'd be like, oh, you're, you're saying January 666 because it was a really bad day, right? But then it's also making light of it, which is exactly where I like to be. But I, but I think about like Trump's fell because like after January 666, when this guy I used to hang out with, I, I still consider him a friend, but it's just, it's, it's, I don't, I don't have any desire to see him. He's a good guy. I just, it, the, all this shit, I just can't really deal with it. But he was freaking out about January 666, which, you know, do it, freak out about it. I'm not going to tell you not to, but it was like, he was so, I've never seen like someone who's so nice because this guy's got such a big heart and he's so truly kind such a nice guy, so easygoing, and he was insane, like he was hysterical, and he's the one who, who was like, you know, we, I haven't seen you for a while, like we've been hearing about people uh, joining this QAnon, he like, indirectly accused me of getting into QAnon because I said that Trumpsfeld shouldn't have been banned from Twitter because I want to fucking read it, like I said, he's never not made me laugh. But because I, 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 like, said, made my usual, like, free speech pitch, or what, what I call my free speech pitch, and I mentioned, like, he shouldn't have been banned from Twitter, this guy was like, well, we haven't seen you in a while, like, we've been hearing about all these people getting sucked into QAnon, which is so insulting. I, I barely, I, I barely paid attention to what that even is, but I don't even need to defend it, who cares, you know, who cares? One way or another. But in that conversation, I used Trumpsfeld, and I realized I probably sounded insane. But it was an insane time. But I have to catch myself, because like I could easily be talking about Donald Rumsfeld, because I do that all the time, and be like, Donald Trumpsfeld. If I just use Donald Trumpsfeld to refer to both Rumsfeld and Trump. Like, I'm telling a story that involves both of them somehow, and I'm like, Donald Rumsfeld was there, and you know who else was there? Donald, Donald Trump. Oh, wait, wait i got to start over. Yeah, I was watching this thing, and, uh, you know, Donald Trumpsfeld was there, and so was Donald Trumpsfeld. Just start using it for everybody. Kind of like how, you know, Christian used to be used just to mean man or person. And in Italy, they still do that. Like, there was a mafioso who had some Italian nickname, and it translated to, like, killer of Christians. And I remember at first being like, What? Like, this guy's name is Killer of Christians. And then I learned more, and I was like, oh, no, they use Christians as men. When it says Killer of Christians, what they mean is Killer of Men. Because they use they say, like, oh, he's a Christian. For every Christian here. Um, but I start using Donald Trumpsfeld like that. Killer of Donald Trumpsfelds. You know, I went to the store and there was a Donald Trumpsfeld who came up to me and said, like, oh, you know, you, I noticed that you, your car alarm's going off. Just refer to any human being as Donald Trumpsfeld. But yeah, I mean, it makes me sad that someone can't just get joy out of that. I understand, whatever, but that's kind of my attitude. I understand whatever. I understand, but I don't understand too much. I only understand enough. But I was just glad that my mom could joke around and, you know, you got you to gotta be able to laugh at it. But something Shane Gillis was saying I wanted to get into is that, like, you've never seen him laugh. 
You've never seen him do a genuine laugh because you even see politics, you know, politicians are all fake and everything, but you see them laugh. Like you see them have a human moment, as he said, but with Donald, Donald Trump's felt like you've actually never seen him have a genuine laugh. Like nothing has ever actually crossed that threshold. You see him do this kind of smile thing. Like he does this kind of fake smirk. He kind of like tucks his lips in and he, like when someone does something funny and, but then it just goes back to a straight face. This is his observation, not mine. But uh, but it's my observation too, because after he mentioned, I like I, I was laughing, I was cackling, like my head was tilting back when he was mentioning this, because I was like, "Holy shit, that's true." I've never noticed that that he he doesn't ever have a genuine laugh. It's just this sort of smirk and then back to a straight face. And then he, as he said, he's like, "I think Trump's autistic." Which just, that fucking killed me. I was just talking about how every, everybody diagnoses Trumpsfeld as narcissistic, sociopath. That got really popular six years ago. You know what? Here's a revelation. I think he's a narcissistic sociopath. People say that like it's some astute observation. But uh, people would always, and like I was talking recently about people just mass diagnosing everybody. And that got really popular to diagnose Trumpsfeld. But how everybody's autistic these days. Everybody's always talking about who's autistic. I think he might be autistic. They say it about so many people. I hear it all the time. I hear people say it about themselves. Like, I, I played music with a guy, young guy. I played music with a guy, young guy. And he he mentioned he was autistic. And I'm like, no, you're not. He might be, but I was just like, he is really quiet. But I was just like, and his girlfriend told me she was autistic too. His girlfriend was there. It was really outgoing. Like she, I can tell you, she was not fucking autistic. She was not. And and he said he was autistic. He's like, I am too. And I was just, and they were gen, they were serious, they were sincere. But people diagnose themselves, and they're diagnosing everyone with autism. So with people diagnosing Trumpsfeld with all this shit, like narcissist, sociopath, blah blah blah, it's amazing to me that that's the first time I've ever heard someone make that observation because it hit me. I was fucking cackling, high pitched laughter, because I was like, "That's so funny to imagine." I don't know if that that's not what he is. I don't know. It doesn't make a difference to me. But like, um, like that diagnosis of Trumpsfeld having autism, I was like. I, I get the, I get why he's saying that. I, I understand. It makes total sense in a way. And that's why everything like doesn't penetrate him. Because that's the crazy thing about him is nothing penetrates him. Like even though he's in this whirlwind of negativity and he eats it, like Trump's felt fuel is negative. That's, that's what nobody understands. Is he his fuel is negativity. He literally eats it. It's nutrients to him. That guy's dealt with more negativity from more people at one time than any human being in history. Not that he's the most hated man in history, but like the fact that he was on Twitter, the fact that he was on TV all the time, he lives in the information age. And so he was just 100% of the time people are talking about him, trying to engage him, hating him. And it really didn't do anything to his image of himself. It didn't really seem to impact him. He doesn't seem unhealthy. Like that level of negativity would actually kill a person. Like people get cancer because they like think about how they had a problem with a family member of theirs or something. Trumpsfeld just he eats it. It's nutrients. And 
but it never penetrated him, even though he sucked into it. It's not that he's, it's not that he's like stoic and away from it. He's not stoic at all, but in a weird way, he kind of is because it's like he's constantly engaged in petty bullshit with people all the time on Twitter when he was on there. Every, Every time he talks, like every single time he talks, there's a barb about somebody. It's just funny to me, though, that it's like it never gets to him. That's why the autism thing's so funny. It's like it just bounces off him. And that's kind of amazing. Because like you can tell when Joe Obama's upset about something. Come on, man. I'm just doing political impressions now. I'm just in, in the gutter. But you can tell sometimes. Like I've seen – like there's that uh, – conservative reporter who always asks the hard-hitting questions of Obama bin Biden. And you'll see him kind of get pissed off and be like, no, I'm not doing... No, that's, that's not him. If Biden suddenly started talking like Trump, that'd be fucking amazing. I just invoked the demon right there, said the real names. But if he started talking like Trump, it'd be like... I gotta See, I gotta practice. I gotta practice using the real names in case I talk to real people. Because God knows I want to talk about them. But he, he gets upset. You can see, like, he's kind of pissed. Like, cranky old man stuff. It's funny. I think Joe Obama's funny, too. Like, I feel bad. Not to... This is this sounds like a both sides thing, but it has nothing to do with the actual politics or anything. But I, I actually laugh out loud every time Joe Obama talks. Not every time. Like, he's not as funny as Trumpsfeld. But it's like, Ben Biden, man, he's funny. Because he is such an absent-minded old man, and he gets cranky, and he's creepy. I like that he's creepy. I actually like that Joe Obama bin Biden is so creepy. Going back years, like when it, when people first started talking about him sniffing women's hair and kissing little girls, it's like that old game show host. Is it Richard Burton? I'm gonna use a lifeline real quick here. Is that Richard Burton? The guy with the, he's from the 70s. I just need to be able to say it on the show, and the show tells me. No, not Richard Burton. Richard Burton was an actor, famous Welsh actor. I don't know. It's Richard something. I always get it confused with Richard Burton. I'm not going to use another lifeline. It's not important. But like he would always kiss little girls and stuff on stage too. He always like if he was if he was hosting the game show and there was a little girl up there. He would always go out of his way to give all of his attention to her and, and be kind of creepy, kind of the sort of the, like acting like an uncle, like, oh, I'm going to give the girl, the little girl some attention, but you'd end up like kissing them on the cheek and stuff. And you could tell the girls didn't like it. And like how, how Ben Biden is that way too. And people have, you know, you could watch a montage of this stuff and he always whispers something as well. Like he leans down and kisses their head there'll be photo shoots going on and he's like leaning down, whispering something. This is very funny to me. Not because he's invading a little girl's space, just that he does it. Just that that's a thing with him. He's like, there's not even a reason. And he's doing it publicly. It's not like he's doing this behind closed doors. It's like this, this is part of his public persona. It's like a, it's almost like a version of kissing the baby, but he, he does it obsessively. It's like when George W. Bushel... George W. Bushel. Massage. Was it Angela Merkel? Who was that? I don't know. I don't think Angela, I don't know if Angela Merkel was around then. But it was some foreign 
prime minister, a woman, and George W. Bushel, who was funny too. Obama wasn't funny. Obama wasn't funny in the least. Bill Clinton wasn't funny. George Bushel was funny. Trumpsfeld is funny. And uh, Obama is funny. But uh, when, when George W. like went up behind this female prime minister and he just started giving her like a shoulder massage, I cackled. Because, yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, well, that's not funny. It's an invasion of space. He's a space invader. Sure. But the fact that George Bush, I mean, he did a lot of funny stuff, like beyond just like his voice and the things he said, like, I wish I could do a, a good George W. impression, although it was ruined. It got ruined by bad parodies. Interestingly, even bad parodies don't ruin Trumpsfeld, but George W. got ruined by bad parodies. I feel like, like tons of people were doing that voice 20 years ago. But there was another thing he did where he met with some African tribe. I think he actually went to Africa and they were playing drums. They had these hand drums. And there's all these photos of him with his mouth like an ape. Like his mouth is like doing that chimpanzee thing where like they, they stick their lips out and make a circle. Like, ooh, ooh, you know, he's doing that with his mouth and he's dancing and he's like reaching over and pounding on the drum like with two fingers, like two, uh, just like paddling on it. Just like doggy paddling on the drum. But it's so primal. Like, look at the pictures. Like, the pictures are... I don't know if I've ever seen a video. I've only seen the photos of it. But there's tons of photos. Like you, could, you could make your own video. There's so many photos. You could put them together and they would be like a, a flip book. Hey, you could put them together and be like a flip book. But, uh, like, the photos are just so funny. Like, look up, like, George W. Bushel African tribe or drums or whatever... He's, he's making such funny faces. And it's not just they caught him at the wrong time. It's like every single photo they took is just hilarious. Hilarious. And so there's tons of stuff he said. Just things he would say. He was a funny guy. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's one thing I can say about Obama. One reason I don't like him is he, he's not funny. There's nothing funny about him, unintentionally or intentionally. He's not entertaining. Like people who are into Obama, it's almost it's it's like an erotic thing. Like they get into it's it's like they almost have this like erotic vision of him and his wife and everything. I'm, I don't know if I have the best way to put it, but erotic comes to mind. Erotic, erotic Obama. Like the way like middle aged Democrat women talk about Barack and his wife. There's something kind of perverse to me about it. Like, it's, there's something very vicarious and perverse. Like, I remember people, I, I've known people who are like, they have such a good relationship. Oh, my God. They, they have, he, he's just so human. Oh, I'm so glad there's, there's kids in the White House again. It's been too long since we've had little kids in the White House. There's always something weird about it. I had a boss who was definitely trying to signal to everybody, super liberal guy, he put Obama stickers in the break room and some like eventually HR told him, even though ever even though all those people agreed politically, like HR finally told him, like, yeah, you, you probably shouldn't have Obama stickers in the break room, like a pile of them. But there was a at one point 
Michelle Obama, uh, she was on TV, as she, I guess she always was, but there was some reason she was on TV that everybody watched it. And the boss came in the next day, he's like, and he, he walks in and he goes, dude, Michelle Obama looked hot last night. Dude, she looked so hot. But I could tell it wasn't just, I mean, you don't just say that. Like, I see hot women all the time. And even though occasionally I do a lecherous episode, I'm not just going to go into a room and be like, so-and-so looked hot last night. Oh, my God, she was hot, hot. I've never done that, just volunteered that. Like, it's one thing if you're looking at them. But my attitude is always like, why talk about a beautiful thing? Just to just take it in. Like if I'm if, if I'm witnessing, if I'm watching something and there's a hot chick that I'm attracted to, I'm not the kind of guy who's typically gonna lean to my friend and be like, man, she's hot. I don't need their confirmation. I don't need to share that moment with them. I never understood that, like why you share that moment. Of course I've said stuff like that in my life, but I've never understood the idea of like sharing that moment. Like if I'm looking at a beautiful woman, there's no need to tell somebody. Why bring them into it, especially another guy? But I've certainly, I, I can say for sure, I've never walked into a room, especially a really inappropriate place, like a, a, an office, and just been like, Michelle Obama looked hot last night. Because you're not even, that's not even what he was saying. He had, what he was trying to do is say like, I find black women attracted too, especially Barack Obama's wife, because I support them. That's what he was saying. He's like, just so you know, like, I think the black chick is hot and I voted for them. That's all that that means. When he walks into the office and says that, that's all he means. Doesn't mean someone can't find her attractive. But when you go in and just broadcast that, like you have an ulterior motive, whether you know it or not. I bet he never thought I would remember that years later and analyze it. That's the first time I've ever actually put that together even. I remember at the time it really put me off and everybody else too. Even though it was an office full of Obama voters, they made a point of mentioning it. You could tell everybody was like, what the fuck? People do that though, especially with them. Like I never went into any place, the grocery store and said like, dude, Melania was so hot. Even though she was the hottest first lady ever. Like, that's it's how dishonest people are. I know I've talked about this before, but that's how you know people are just truly, deeply dishonest. Is they will not acknowledge that a freaking supermodel, and she's not just any supermodel. Like, she's just, she's a classic beauty. And she's Eastern European, which people love. The fact that people would not, not admit she's hot or I've seen these lists they've made since the Trumpsfeld era where they'll be like the hottest 21st ladies. And it's like Michelle Obama at the top and like Jackie Kennedy. And it's like, fuck you guys. I don't care about your list, but it's like, we actually have an Eastern European supermodel who still looks really young. Then putting Michelle Obama at the top of that list is exactly the same thing as my boss coming in and being like, Michelle Obama looked hot last night. Same exact sentiment. It's, we think a black woman is attractive and we love Obama. That's all that means. You know, and I don't know, politics don't influence what I find attractive. 
you know, politics would never influence that. Never. But you know, that, that's how dishonest it is. But you know, Obama, not a funny guy. He makes he he genuinely laughs. I feel like every picture of him, he's laughing. That's why people like him. He's human. He's not autistic like Trumpsfeld. But yeah, that, that's a revelation to me. Autistic Trump, not even a joke. There's something about him that he, he's like that. He's impenetrable. He has his own inner world. I think that's the thing about it. Like the thing about Trumpsfeld is it's very evident he has his own inner world. Like he has nicknames for everybody. He has this really eccentric, unique way of talking about everything. He truly, he's that way about everything. It's always him. It's, it's only stuff that he could say. It's only stuff that would make sense coming from his lips. Even just his phrasing and everything. Like that thing I was talking about at the beginning, how he says something he observed, and then he talks about himself observing it. There's a lot of people here. I walk in, I said, boy, there's a lot of people. You know, that sort of thing. It's like, that's a very weird way of thinking. It's how a lot of people think, but it's it's not the way you typically express yourself. But it's like with Joe Obama, where like, I feel bad for... Republicans who see Ben Biden and are like, oh my, you fucking asshole, dude, you fucking asshole. Like people who are genuinely upset. Like when he gave that speech a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, where he condemned mega Republicans and stuff, like he said some disturbing stuff in that speech, I would agree. The whole domestic terror thing they've been pushing is, is very bad, very sketchy. The parameters of it and everything are of great concern, like what they're using as parameters. But that said, it didn't upset me. He's, uh, he's funny. You know, he's genuinely funny, like partly because the cranky old man thing. Like, well, I, I talked about it on here before, the whisper. When he does that whisper thing, that's, that's Jabama bin Biden at his fucking best. I don't know. Maybe you should ask them. Like, I don't even know what he said. It's not important to me what he said. What's important is just the tone of that. Because someone mentioned to me, like, man, that was so psycho. It was so fucked up when Jabama whispered. I was like, you kidding me? That was the funniest thing I saw all week. I don't know. You can tell what he's trying to do. Like, the way, I'm, the way it sounds coming from me right now is kind of what people normally do. It's like they're exasperated. It's like they're past the point of yelling. So they're just like, I don't know. I can't help you with that. You know, I can understand what he's trying to do, but like channeled through his dementia and weird old man president thing, whatever he has going on, it's like it comes out very weird. Like he doesn't know how to do it anymore. He's like a machine that's not working properly. So it's like you can tell what he's trying to do when he does this whisper shit. But it's all fucked up now, and it's it's fucking funny. I'm glad he doesn't do it too much, because as much as I love it, I wouldn't want him to do it all the time. I, wa I want him to save it. But I feel bad for a Republican like who sees that, and they're like, oh my god. Hey, so he, he talks like a psycho. You see Obama up there talking like a psycho? He's talking like a psycho. It's not psycho, it's funny. Like, if you're upset by him, like, if you watch him and you get really upset at his speeches... 
you know, while people don't have, you know, Obama bin Biden hysteria the way they do Trump's felt, it's like I still feel bad for anybody who can't just find the humor in that. If you can't just find the humor in the existence of these fucking politicians, where these are men who get up in front of crowds and people are just like, I'm going to listen to what this guy has to say, even though we all know it's hollow. We all know it's bullshit. We all know it's theater. People are just like, let's get a big, let's all go and watch him speak. Let's turn on TV and watch him speak. What's he going to say? That's That alone is funny to me. They did it like crowds of people go around one man who just says broad platitudes about all kinds of general shit. And then people react to it. That's really funny to me. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I, just, I can't imagine getting upset by it. Like I'm trying to think of like what a public speaker would have to say Beyond like 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 what they would have to say is, did you see Michelle Obama last night? She looks so hot. That's what you'd have to say to piss me off. Or that lady at my college I always talk about it was like, get up and shake. We're gonna take a break, and I just want you to stand up for a second and just shake, just wiggle. How it upset me so much. But in terms of like a, like a politician or somebody, there's almost nothing they could say that would would upset me. Like, Joe Obama could get up on his podium and say, which a podium is funny, too. You ever thought about how funny podiums are? But Joe Obama could get up there and he could say, we've decided today that public enemy number one, I can't do an impression of him. Public enemy number one is a man named Eric Stonefelt. We're sending the FBI to his house right now, and we're going to have a mock trial where we execute him. I'd be laughing. Even that would be funny to me. But people get upset by these people. People get upset by these people. People getting upset about people. I thought I saw somebody at the store today who I didn't want to see. And that's it, a weird thing. Is Olympia is a really small town. And even though I don't spend time with anybody here anymore, I know who a lot of people are. I've hung out with them. They're friends of friends. They're friends. Whatever it is. I never see anybody I know. Ever. And I don't even, it doesn't even seem like a possibility. Like, I've forgotten that that even happens. I've forgotten that if you live in a place where you know everybody, you run into them all the time. It, it's, it's been so long. But today I went to the store and I walked in, like, a tiny little store. I walked into the store, a tiny little store. And I'm pretty sure the first person I saw was someone I know. And it's the only person I don't want to see. It's the only person I actively want to avoid. There's no beef. There's no problem with this person. There's no weird history. This is just somebody like an old friend who was part of my group of friends, but I just never liked her. And I actively avoid her. She doesn't know I don't like her. She obviously knows I don't want anything to do with her, but or knows that I, you know, I haven't seen her in a very long time. But I'm pretty sure I saw her. You know, it's been a few years, but. I immediately was like, I hid. Actually, what I did, and it, you know, it was kind of fun because I was like, this is like, I'm like a spy. I have a goal right now. 
And it was a very small store too. So if I'd been in there for more than a minute, she would have seen me. And like I said, nothing bad would have come. It would have just been like, I felt, I feel like I would have to explain what I'm doing or something or explain myself in some way. It's that sort of person who's going to want to know things. There'd be no animosity or anything. But there was like this, this shelving unit in the middle of this small store. And so like, I like walked around the side of it, sort of like stalled for a minute and then like retraced my steps and left. Like I forgot something. And then I did, I had other errands to do. So I did other errands and came back because I had to go to the store. But it was funny. It was a moment where I was like, oh yeah, that can happen. You can see people that you don't want to see. I don't have enemies. Just this is the one person who I really don't want to see. Truly the only one. I can't think of a single other person who I don't want to see. This is the one person. And I don't even know if it was her. It's been so long. She might have changed or something. But there was enough of, I, I got that feeling. I got that feeling it was her. Within seconds, I was like, I know that person. I got to get out of here. It's kind of fun, though. That's how people feel about these politicians. She's not funny. She'd be an awful politician. She'd be the worst. Female politicians usually aren't funny at all. I can't think of any women politicians who make me laugh. Like, even some of the ones who are more incendiary. Like, ASC... ASC, ASC, she's not funny at all, she doesn't, I don't feel anything toward her whatsoever, I don't feel a thing about her, but she's not funny, Melania's funny actually, she's not a politician, but Melania's funny, because that's another example where like when Melania, this is just all political, talking about politicians, sometimes you just got to go all in. But Melania is funny that that whole like, I don't really care do you thing. That's good. A guy I know, he's like a man in his 40s who I like, was so upset when that happened. He was outraged that she wore that. It's like, oh, she's saying the, the truth on a trench coat? That's amazing. The idea of the first lady who's very fashionable. She's an ex-model. She's beautiful. The idea of her wearing this big trench coat that says, I don't really care to you on the back. That is funny. This guy, he's like in his forties, probably he was probably in his early forties at the time. A guy that I've, I've like drank with, laughed with. He's a funny guy. He's a good guy. He's a funny guy. He's a good guy. He was so upset by that. And I just didn't understand why. Like, it's not like she did anything bad as a result. It's like she was just saying the thing you're not supposed to say, which is that all of this is bullshit. All of this first lady doing charitable things, it's all bullshit. Like, even if they do nice things sometimes, like, we know what that is. So her wearing a trench coat says, I don't really care, do you? And of all, the phrasing on that is really funny to me for some reason, too. The do you, maybe. It's not just I don't care. It's not just, I don't really care. It's the fucking phrasing. I don't really care, do you? People get upset about that. I think it's the do you. It's not the I don't care. They're upset by the do you. Because they know the answer to that. It's calling their bluff. 
yeah, like a 40 something year old man who he's not even that crazy about leftist leftism and shit. He's, he's he was a pretty progressive guy because I, I just say what everybody's politics are these days. Pretty progressive guy, but like I remember having some conversations around the time Trumpsville got elected, erected, elected, erected. Bernie, Barney, Barney, Bernie, Barney, Barney, Bernie, 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 I'll start saying that. If if uh, Barney Bernie Sanders ever comes up in conversation again, I'd be like, "Do you mean Bernie Sanders? Do you mean Bernie?" <laughs> <laughs> birdie <laughs> that's one of those th- <laughs> that's one of those things that uh like it almost sounds right like phonetically like if someone were to say that to you like you wouldn't notice right away that they said birdie you wouldn't notice there's a d in there birdie Bertie Sanders. Bertie Sanders. You got to say it right. You got to say it naturally. Start saying that. Are you voting for Bertie? I guess the problem with that one, though, you know, even though it made me laugh fucking hard, but the problem with that one is like it almost sounds like Bertie, like B-E-R-T-Y or B-E-R-T-I-E, which is kind of funny, too. You got to emphasize the D. Bertie. <laughs> Well, that reminds me, when I was in college, one of the only women I ever went to school with who just, like, made it a point to hit on me in class. Like, I didn't get hit on very much. Like, one time a girl wrote me a note that said, it was like a joke that said, like, circle yes or no if you want to hang out sometime. And I circled yes in this, like, really crude way. I didn't mean to. I just had, like, a shitty ballpoint pen. But it was like, it, it looked like, it looked like a child had circled it. And, but this, this other girl, same class, actually, that was the class to be in, I guess, if you want girls to hit on you. Like I said, it didn't ha- I'm not saying this because it happened very much, but this, this girl, she like really, she had just, br- see, she <laughs> knew, I knew we'd get into s- some, uh, territory here, but like she had just broken up with her boyfriend and she was hot to trot and still living with him. And so she just like, it's like she broke up with her boy. This is, this is what a lot of women do. It's just the truth. My friend, I, I have women friends who do this. There are women who don't do this, and that's cool. But comparing, contrasting men and women, I've known women do this almost all the time, and men never do it, which is like break up immediately. They're dating again. And so this girl like broke up with, with her boyfriend and then immediately in class just like was sitting next to me, like going out of her way to be in my group. Like wanted to go to a movie, wanted to hang out. But we're talking about movies, and I don't know shit about movies. I have a lot of friends who know a lot about movies, so I can pretend. But me and this girl were talking and talking in class. And she was talking about some cool movies that I'd actually seen, like Todd Salons, I think is his name. I had seen his movies, and I liked those. We were talking about, yeah, some stuff that's, like, well-known. Like, because the thing is, I have really... Like, I had a friend one time... He was talking to me about like this is just a million stories, but like he was talking to me about movies. He had he was talking to, he was talking about this other guy that we knew about movies, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you know, I asked him what kind of movies he liked, and he was just like Con Air and Goodfellas." And I was like, "Those are the kind of movies I like." 
Like, you're making fun of this guy for being into, like, action movies and Goodfellas. That's literally the only movies I've ever seen. It's the only movies I like. <laughs> I'm not a movie snob. I'm a snob about, it, about all kinds of things, but I'm not a movie snob. I'm just like, oh, an action movie's on. Oh, the, the same gangster movie I've seen 500 times is on. Oh, yeah, I'll watch this and be entertained. But I feel like those, like, Todd Salons and stuff, they're well-known, but they're kind of weird. They're kind of dark. They're cool. And she, she, I think she brought up those, or I did, or something. So we were talking about movies, and then Crispin Glover came up. I think I brought him up. I was just like, oh, yeah, I like Crispin Glover. I think we were just talking about, like, weird people in Hollywood and that kind of thing, and I just brought up Crispin Glover, and she's like, oh, Crispin Clover. Crispin Clover. <laughs> And I go, I, I paused. I didn't know what to say. I wasn't sure if she was joking or doing what I do. And I was like, oh, Crispin Glover. Like, I don't think I corrected her. I think I, I found a way to say it in the next sentence the right way. And I was like, yeah, you know, like with Crispin Glover. She was like, oh, Crispin Clover. She corrected me. Like, she was saying Crispin Clover. And she corrected me when I said Glover. I was like, what? It was almost like my brain got fried at that moment. It was almost like all of my internal machinery just, you know, fell off. Just came to a halt. Because it's kind of like insane. I mean, Crispin Clover. I was like, how would she, you know, I, I know that it looks similar. I know that like a C can look like a G. But she kept saying it and she wasn't being funny. And I was just like, what the fuck? And this is years before I had my own connection to him. Not my connection, but one of my best friends, her best friend, dated Crispin. And he has a castle in Prague. I, I, I know I've mentioned this story, but he basically kept her locked up in this castle. And he had to go film a movie. And so he flew my friend out to basically babysit his girlfriend, who was her best friend. A lot of connections here. But, you know, she had had a drug problem. She was an artist, the girl, Crispin's girlfriend at the time. Really bad boyfriend, really bad guy, it turns out. But autistic again. He's definitely like that. Like, it's funny to say Trump's autistic because he's something weird. But Crispin Glover is 100% autistic. That's not me just diagnosing somebody. I don't think he laughs. <laughs> I don't think he I don't think he has a sense. He's really fucking serious and controlling. It's not my story to tell. But if you're hanging out with Crispin, you have to eat what he eats. And he has a weird diet. He was on like a raw diet. But I feel like it was more specific than that. He had some ultra highly specific diet. And if you're spending time with him, like he'll pay and everything. He's stingy. But he'll pay for your food, but you have to eat what he eats. And his castle's falling apart. <laughs> it's true. His castle's falling and his castle's falling. How can you say that's true? Like how many people can you say that about? Like you're talking about like how they're weird or they have a bad personality and they're like and to top it all off, his castle's falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I say it as casually as someone says and he drives a junky old car that barely runs and his castle's falling apart but anyway my friend stayed there and, and stuff and yeah, he, he's a weird fucking guy abusive sort of guy psych, psychologically abusive 
to his girlfriend and everything, and she passed away a few years ago. The uh, My friend's friend passed away. I actually have her art here right now. I'm storing it. It's really cool. Extremely. I, I haven't really thought about it. My friend moved to Portland, and so she had to stash. She has some stuff she had to store, and so I have, like, her name's Mika. I have some of Mika's art here, which I didn't even think about. That I have Crispin Glover's ex-girlfriend's art in my house. Not that that's, that defines her, but that was how I first learned about her. Like, when I first met my friend, I thought she was crazy. She was my neighbor, and she was like, I'm about to go to Prague to visit my best friend who's staying in a castle with a celebrity and i was like oh this girl's fucking out of her mind this girl's fucking insane she has some delusion about a celebrity and then the second she said crispin glover i was like no she's telling the truth you don't just make up you don't make that up you don't just randomly bring up crispin glover his his living room is like decorated in swastikas too uh, so he's, he's one of those guys collects swastikas and everything. And there was a funny story too. I was told where he's friends with Marilyn Manson, but they, they're not friends anymore because they had a falling out where they were going to make music together, which if you, if you heard, <laughs> if you've heard Crispin Glover's music, that's funny. Like he did that clowny clown clown thing back in the day, just goofy joke music. But Crispin had recorded some sort of like demo tracks I don't know if he even plays music, but he's an idea guy. Crispin Glover is like one of those guys who always has ideas and doesn't care like what they, how they come across. But he recorded some kind of musical ideas, or who, it could have just been him speaking or singing for all I know. But he recorded it to a tape on a four track or something, and he gave it to Marilyn Manson to check out. Like here's the demo tracks for the thing we're going to work on, and Marilyn Manson lost it. And so they had a falling out because Crispin was like, I want that back. I want my tape back. And Marilyn didn't have it anymore. I say it like I know him, Marilyn. You know, like Marilyn didn't have it no more. And so they had a falling out over that. And I was like, no doubt Marilyn Manson got that demo tape and was just like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to make stupid joke music like this. And who knows what happened to that tape. <laughs> But I love the idea of them having a falling out over it. Yeah, I should go look at that art. I should see all what else here. There's a few. There's a couple framed images of Mika's art. She was a. I never met her, but she was yeah definitely a very unique. Uh, yeah, just a, a definitely, you know, people overuse the word, but a special person for sure, and died a few years ago. But I, I don't even think about the fact that I, I've had her art here for a few months. Anyway, Crispin Clover. When that girl in my class who was hitting on me said that... This was years before the whole connection to Crispin Glover came up. So just her being like, Crispin Clover. I never forgot it. Because sometimes people just get things wrong. Like I had a, growing up, I had a friend whose mom got everything wrong. She was like a cartoon character. If there was a way to mispronounce something, not just mispronounce, but just to say it wrong. 
Maybe it was her own little game. Like, maybe she was doing what I do, and she just fucking changes things for her own. Maybe that's cutting. Maybe there's a lot more cutters out there. My friend's mom was a cutter. My friend's mom was a cutter. That's kind of, maybe that's what it is. Maybe she, maybe that was her cutting. Like, she would pronounce things and say things wrong because that was her form of cutting. Just like I make stupid jokes to cut myself. He's a cutter. I didn't know your mom was a cutter like I am. I, I have so much in common with your mom. We're both cutters. Verbal cutters. I just start thinking that way about everything. Everything someone does that's weird, I should just be like, maybe that's their own self-punishment. Like Crispin Glover's weird shit. Like maybe everything he's doing is just self-punishment. Maybe he's cutting. I could go deep with this. I, I could cut deep with this one. It's all just cutting. The reason you do that is that's your form of cutting. I'm surprised more people don't talk about this though. Like honestly, like psychologically... I'm surprised this isn't a more common topic, like the idea that people do what cutting is, but they do it in different ways, which I'm sure, I'm sure people talk about that. But what I mean is even just like doing stupid things, you know, people talk about self-sabotage and all that, but I even mean just like saying things wrong. Well, the reason she mispronounces that guy's name is because uh, it's cutting. I'm going to go somewhere more. I'm, I'm going to pursue this later. I don't know where to go with it right now, but yeah, cutting is psychic cutting. Uh, I should go to bed, but yeah. Anyway, uh, I don't. I went on that story about like seeing the girl, seeing the woman in the store who I think I, I think it was the woman I know. I got that feeling. My animal sense told me it was her. It looked like her, but I saw her for a split second before I went to another part of the store and then left and came back, which I wouldn't do that for very many people. So it's kind of crazy that that was my instinct. I'm not an avoidant person. Like despite reading about all this, like, Oh, I'm similar to schizoid personality in this way, this way, even though I did that recently, I'm not an avoidant person in that way. But I, what I, my, my animal instinct was like, avoid this person. But as soon as I was kind of hiding, like when I circled around the shelf, I got this thrill. Like panic turned into a thrill. Panic, panic turned, in, turned into a thrill where I was suddenly on a mission. I was like, oh, I'm on a mission. I have a purpose. I got I to, gotta, it was like Metal Gear Solid or something. Like I, I can't be seen by the guard. I can't be seen by her cone of vision. I have to get out, and I did. Although, I, I just wonder, though, if, if people pick up on that. In the same way that I get this animal sense, like, it's like my friend Robert said, like, he remembers, he, he was going to some event, and he was in the car, and as they were pulling up to the event, it was an outdoor event, I don't, I don't remember what it was, maybe like a music festival or something, but like, there was a crowd of hundreds of people and there was a guy he knew there. He didn't know he was there. And he was like, that's him. And the guy was like buried deep in this crowd. And he just somehow like knew he was there. And he was. He like knew exactly where the guy was. And like Robert's gifted, psychically, spiritually gifted. So 
not everybody could do this, but it was like he just sensed that this guy he knew was there. I've had that before too. I just sense things. It's almost, I think the way that happens for a lot of people is they might be at a place with somebody they know and they don't realize it, but they, they find themselves thinking about that person. I think that happens. Like I had an experience, I don't know, six years, seven years ago, it was a while back, where I was in my hometown visiting my childhood best friend and we went into the woods and smoked a bunch of weed. Might have been drinking, I don't remember. We were wandering out of the woods and this mom of a, of a family we knew well was walking her dog. And this woman is really close to my family, like still is close to my family. And uh, I see, well, here's another version of this because I see a dog and I knew they had a dog and I don't know. Like I never really thought about the breed of the dog. Like, like I think this family always gets the same type of dog, but I don't. I didn't know that. But I knew them to have a dog like twenty years earlier. And I see this dog, and it's obviously not the same dog, because the dog they had when I knew them had to have died. But I see a dog, and and I immediately whispered my friend like the woman's name. Because the dog had run ahead of her. Somehow I knew that was her dog. I just had a feeling somehow. And sure enough, it was her. And like when we realized it was her, we were stoned out of our minds and probably drunk. And we both, in, I mean, this is my childhood best friend. So we both just immediately knew to separate. Like somehow it's, it made sense to not run into her together. Not for any Everybody associated us with one another. There's no pro. Like it's not like that's criminal. Like it's not like we're criminals who don't want to be seen together. It just it seemed like a better way of avoiding her would be to split up. We just both knew. I think we'd done this probably fifty times throughout our life. We just kind of knew the the program. If you know, he's he's a guy who knows how to sneak around and stuff too. We both just like split up, and I went up on ahead because this woman hadn't seen me for probably. 15 years, 10 years. And in that span of time, I changed a lot. Like the last time she had seen me, I was a lot heavier. By this time, like I'm an adult man. I was in good shape. She hadn't seen me as a man. And I don't really look the way I looked when I was a kid. And so I went up on a head and like, and I was going to pass her first because it didn't seem like she'd recognize me. Sure enough, she didn't. I passed her. I go, Hi. She goes, hi, which was a really weird moment because my family knew this woman so well. Her daughter was my sister's best friend and her other daughter went to school with me my whole life. And I went to like birthday parties. They were at our house for dinner. Like we were like, they bought my old house. When my family moved, they bought our old house. So this family knows my family better than anyone but she hadn't seen me forever because, because I don't, I didn't have a personal connection to them. Like they're, they're great people and everything, but like they were connected through my sister and my mom. And I just never had a close personal relationship to them myself. But, uh, what was really weird is in that moment, like when I, I just acted like a total stranger and I was like, hi, the same way you'd say hi to a total stranger on the trail. 
And she responded the same way. Like she responded as if I was just a lone man on the trail. And it was really weird to see somebody you know under those circumstances. Truly, really, like how often do you get that opportunity? Like barring a disguise or something. I think few people experience that in their lifetime. Where you see somebody that you know very well, but they don't know it's you. And you get to see them treat you like a stranger. I can't think of any other time I've been able to do that in my life. It's really interesting mentally. Like I could see in her eyes that she didn't recognize me and was treating me like she would treat any strange guy on the trail, politely. But it was just, hi, hi, that was it. And then I'm way up ahead, like up the hill, and then... She runs into my friend down at the bottom of the hill and I can hear her go, oh, hi. Like she reckoned, because he hasn't changed at all. He looks exactly the way he's looked. His family's really close to them as well. So she immediately recognized him and he's always been like around town. Like he's just been more visible. And so like immediately, like she launched into this conversation with him and uh, like she didn't recognize me. And they're talking, and so I'm out of the trail, and I have to wait for him because he gets sucked into, like, a a long conversation. And it it was really weird because we were walking back. Like, once once he was done talking to her, he met up back with me, and we were walking back. And he was like, it was really weird. You know, she asked me how I was doing and, like, wanted to, like, know what, what was up with me and stuff. And then he's, like, near the end of the conversation, out of nowhere... She just asked, hey, have you talked to Pam Stonefelt, which is my mom? Like, have you seen Pam Stonefelt lately? Like, just out of nowhere. Because, I mean, there's a million people they could talk about together. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a decent probability that they might talk about us, given our families are all, we're all connected at one point. But it was like, it, it was almost like an afterthought. And... <laughs> uh, you know, he was like, he was like, it felt weird. It felt like somehow, like she didn't know that was you, but it's like, because she passed you, like it made her think about you. And that's exactly what I'm saying here. Like I've experienced that. And I think that's what happened with her. Cause like she brought up my mom and like, I think she might've asked about me or something, but it was like, he said the way she brought it up though, it was almost like it hit her after the fact, but she didn't really realize it at the time that she had passed me. And then uh, years later, it was actually the night my mom died, my sister happened to be walking with her. Like they had gone for a hike together. They're very close. And like, so they were with my sister when my mom died or that night. And she brought me up. She's like, you know, like, she's, she's like, I think I passed Eric in the woods one time and he didn't say hi to me. <laughs> And like my sister thought it was weird. And my dad has a long history of that. Like my dad, when uh, when I was a kid, my dad and I would be playing in the front of the house. And then if somebody knocked on the door, like my dad would like, and you could see, like if you knocked on our door, you could see if somebody was like right inside there. And my dad, like one time I remember like someone knocked on the door and my dad just fled. And he would do that every time. Like if somebody knocked on the door, my dad did not want to talk to them. Some of the time he was probably stoned too. I don't, I don't know about when he was playing with me, but my dad liked to smoke weed. 
but he would do that. He would flee. But in this moment, like when I saw this one, this woman, I know I was just like, not only do I, I, I can't, not only can I not get into a conversation with someone I haven't seen for many years, but I'm also really stoned in the woods and I really can't do it. But my sister thought it was weird when she brought it up. She's like, you know, like she, like she realized it way after the fact that that was me. Like it's like something about passing me while she didn't recognize me or know it was me at the time. Like she didn't even make the connection when she talked to my friend. Like when she met up with him, she wasn't like, oh, is that Eric I just passed? Like it didn't hit her until later. Like she thought about it later. And uh, <laughs> she brought it up with my sister the night my mom died and was just like, yeah, I saw Eric in the woods and he didn't say, he didn't, he didn't say it was him. And <laughs> my sister thought it was weird. And like, I was like, doesn't, don't you get it? Like one, I was stoned out of my mind. I think drunk as well. And I couldn't just get sucked into a conversation in the woods with somebody I haven't seen, like a mom of, of people we know. She was like, yeah, I guess. I'm just like, don't you, come on. Like, haven't you been there? Like, haven't you experienced that? It wasn't personal. I have no, that, that was an example where like, there was no animosity. It was just, sometimes you just know, like, like I have that, I have an intuition with that. Like sometimes you just like know not to engage with somebody at a given time. And if I had talked to her, I mean, here I am like second guessing myself, but if I had talked to her, it's like she would have talked to me probably out of my mind. And probably would have been like, I, I saw Eric in the wood. His eyes were glossed over and red. He could barely get out a coherent sentence. You, it's a lose-lose. You either pretend you don't know somebody you know and hurt their feelings, or they talk to you when you've just like sat in the woods smoking weed with your psychic brother, dissecting the world, drinking, and then have to talk to them. And then be like, I think he, I think he's out of his mind. Crispin Clover. I, I saw him in the woods and he was like, Crispin Clover. He kept saying like, Birdie? Birdie Sanders? Crispin Clover? Birdie Sanders? Crispin Clover? Donald Trumpsfeld? I think he's out of his mind. I always think about that. Like sometimes if you haven't seen somebody for a while, like this is almost a version of that guy saying to me after January 666, like, you know, I haven't seen you for a while, and we keep hearing these stories about people getting sucked into QAnon. QAnon. It's almost like a version of that. But, like, I sometimes think, like, if you haven't seen somebody for a while and, like, you don't see them, have they gone insane in the meantime? You never know. Has that person gone insane in the meantime? Can I trust that that person's still sane? I haven't seen them for a while. I remember, like, my friend Miles saying... Like, he had, a, he had a good friend, and I think either he or somebody else saw him walking, and, like, they yelled his name, and he just sort of, like, turned around really abruptly, and, like, they could just tell he had lost his mind. Like, just from the way he turned. Because I noticed that with homeless people and stuff, like, the body language. Like, it's not just that they have, it's not just that life's been really hard on them physically and mentally, and they have existing issues, and they're addicted to stuff. There's also just something about the way they move. You can just tell they're insane. Like if you go insane, you move different. It's like somehow the way you move is tied to your psychic well-being, your psychological well-being. Like if somebody moves with confidence and grace, they're probably somewhat sane, I would think. 
there's this video online. It's an old, it's, it's on YouTube or something, but it's a really old video of a catatonic schizophrenic who's been medicated. And he had been an excellent pianist. And he, he looks like a doll. He's really shiny. And they ask him about like what led to him being institutionalized and medicated. And like, I don't know what he was like before all this, but he talks in like very clipped speech, like very short. Like you would know he, he's still insane. Like even though he's medicated and like under some level of control, you can tell this guy's insane. I think he was a catatonic schizophrenic. Catatonic schizophrenic. And he, they ask him, to like, what led to his institutionalization and stuff. And he's like, he's like, they didn't like the way I sat at the piano. Something to that effect. I wish I could remember the exact quote. But it involved, like, they didn't like the way he sat at, he, he sat at the piano, I think is what he said. And I'm like, yeah, hey, it probably seemed insane. Like his body language when he sat at the piano was probably cool. Like watching this catatonic schizophrenic probably do. Who knows what that guy played? If he's that gifted at the piano. You see this kid? He's gifted at the piano. The piano. But a guy like that is that gifted at the piano, but also catatonic schizophrenic. Like, like who knows what that guy played when nobody was listening? I would love to hear that. Um... But there's probably something crazy about his body language. Because he says that, and you're like, oh, he's, he's insane. He, he was paranoid about how people perceived him. He was paranoid about how people perceived the way he sat at the piano. But there probably was something weird about it that people gave him shit about or like made people uncomfortable. But that's probably what made him good. But yeah, you can even associate body language and stuff with mental health. Not just someone wailing, you know, their body, not just throwing their body around or doing something obvious. It's very subtle. You know, we don't think about body language. We, we People talk about it. They talk about it in the most obvious way, though. I mean, there's so much subtlety to it that you process without even thinking about it. We always think about the most obvious ways that people communicate through body language, like the performative side. Like oh, he's rolling his eyes. That means that's the body language telling you he's he he thinks it's stupid. But there's really subtle body language, just in the the way that someone just carries themselves. It's like a dog who walks around with its tail tucked between its legs. Like I think I've mentioned this before, but like the girls that I grew up with who did seem really abused or something, women as well, like. Women and girls who seem like something really bad happened to them sometimes have really bad posture, I've noticed. Like that girl that I saw briefly where she had a very traumatic thing happen to her as a young girl, which, you know, I'm not making light of here if you need to, if you need the clarification. But I noticed that like her, her, her posture was really fucked up. I don't know if there was a reason for it. I don't know if it was just, I don't know from what, because it, it doesn't communicate confidence. And I think, I think that's related because they always talk about how, if you want to seem confident, like shoulders squared up, back straight, head up high, you know, people talk about that and it's real because when someone has bad posture, something seems weird. I've mentioned before too, how gay guys have weird posture and how you could make some kind of dirty joke that that's from what they do. 
behind closed doors, but that's not it. Whatever it is they do behind closed doors, I don't I don't know what they do. What do gay men do behind closed doors? I don't know. I've never been behind closed doors as a gay man. They could be doing anything in there. But I don't think it's from that. It doesn't make any sense. They would be like, <laughs> they have so much gay sex. That's what they do. Uh, they have so much gay sex that like their posture gets fucked up. I don't think that's it. But I've noticed that you can recognize a gay man really easily from their body language. I mean, that, I mean, that's fucking water is wet. Sky is blue. Yeah, we know you can tell a gay man from his body language. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking about something more. That's the performative side. That's the like limp wrist, you know, effeminate sort of stuff. What I'm talking about though is it's like their, their lower back, it's not, it's not like normal bad posture. It's like their lower back is really pushed in and their bellies stick out. And like their shoulders are like really, uh, not just, it's not just that they have like small shoulders, like physically, but it's like somehow, I, I know this isn't humanly possible, but it's the way it looks. It's almost like they're, they, they found a way to like make their shoulders closer together. I guess, I guess what that would be is like, they, they keep their arms close to their side or something, but I've noticed like I can recognize a gay man that way. Like I mentioned these guys in my neighborhood, how I'd seen them walking individually, an Asian man and a white man. And the Asian men, Asian gay guys like stand out like a fucking sore thumb. <laughs> you can quote me on that. They just do. Because I've always, I grew up with Asians. I had Asian, I had Asian friends. None of them, I don't think any of them were gay. But an Asian gay man like really stands out for some reason. I don't know what it is. It's a weird type of person. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But like I'd seen this guy walking like by my house, and I was just like, "Oh, that guy's that guy looks gay." And then, uh, sure enough, like, I, and I'd seen the other guy walking too by himself. I was like, "That guy looks gay." I just say that about everybody. But then, like, I finally saw them walking together, and I was like, "Oh, it all makes sense. It's a gay couple. It's like a a fit Asian man and this like fat white guy with a beard, both obviously gay somehow." Somehow, obviously gay. And uh, I don't know, you know, but it was, it was this like weird lower back thing that I'm talking about. Like there's something about their posture that's, that I can't quite put my finger on. And trust me, I wouldn't want to. Uh, but it's just, I've just noticed it. I'm just like, that's a little weird that they have that. It's like women who have experienced like significant trauma at an early age have bad posture and gay men have bad posture weird posture not bad I don't, I don't even know that it's traditionally bad like that it's bad for your back or anything this probably would sound to somebody like that piano thing like in the same way like you're you're watching this interview with this catatonic schizophrenic where he's like they're like what led to all this and they're like people didn't like the way i sit at the piano that's how someone would hear this like he thinks that gay people have weird posture he thinks that this I've, I've become more aware of it because I realize it's something I've always noticed but never thought about I've never really thought about like the subtle body language that we all pick up on all the time and you see with homeless people as well like the way they move like there, I saw a guy 
in the gas station parking lot today. Dear Diary, I saw a guy in the gas station parking lot. And he didn't look like that homeless wigger type that I always talk about. But there was something off about him. Like, he could have been walking to his car. Like, because I was at the pump. I was at the pump. Pumping. And he was walking in the direction of the cars. And he had a little bag like he had bought something from the store. And like there was there's no reason to think he was anything other than a, a customer filling up his tank who, who went into the store. But I just immediately was like, homeless wigger. And sure enough, he wasn't going to his car. He was just wandering around. Because that gas station, it's right by my house. They have a bunch of benches and stuff. And it's, it's just like a homeless social club. Like all the homeless people hang out there all day, every day, all night. But he was just one of those guys. And, you know, he wasn't, you know, his clothes were like normal, like not nice, but his clothes were normal. He was wearing a hat, a hat. And uh, I just right away, though, like my intuition, like my first thought was homeless wigger out of his mind. Homeless wigger out of his mind. A homeless wigger out of his mind. <laughs> That'd be a good song. <laughs> <laughs> but sure enough, like as I was pumping the gas, like he goes up to some guy, other guy pumping his gas. He's like, did you buy it that way or did you do it yourself? He was talking about the guy's car. It was like an SUV. I, I couldn't even see anything that significant about it. Like maybe it had a special bumper on it. But he approached the guy, and that's a, a hard rule. Like, you never approach somebody who's pumping their gas at a gas station. You never go up and talk to them. You just don't do that. It's alarming. And this place is particularly bad for it because it is a homeless social club at this gas station. And uh, I gave a guy a towel there once. There's this classic homeless guy there, a traditional homeless guy who has long gray hair and a beard, and he walks like he walks weird. I haven't seen him for a while, which actually concerns me. Because, I mean, I, that's the thing is, like, I can joke, but, like, I care about these guys. Like, not, not even in the sense of, like, I care about the homeless. Like, these guys who are fixtures in my neighborhood, especially a guy like this, like, it makes me sad to think that something might have happened to him because he's been around for years. And he's, he's like a traditional homeless man. Where he has gray, like a gray mustache or beard, long gray hair. He looks like he's wearing rags. He walks really fast, but hunched over. Yeah, I haven't seen him. I, I've I've seen him every day for years, and now that I think about it, I haven't seen him for a while. I mean, he, he very well could be dead. Something, because there's no fixing that guy. You know, I know some of these guys, these younger guys, like these homeless wiggers. Like maybe if they cleaned up. Or something got some sort of treatment like they they could live some kind of life but like this guy was old and you know it's just it's like what's gonna happen with that guy he's been on the street for years he lives in the woods by my house he occasionally has these like really nasty looking like girlfriends who are a little younger than him and uh but yeah i don't know i mean 
I haven't seen him. But anyway, like one time I was I was at that gas station pumping gas and he approached me, which in his case, like he, you're less worried about that. Like the interesting thing about those like traditional classical homeless guys who look like hobos with like a gray beard and long hair and rags is like you don't worry about them robbing you. I'm never alarmed by them. Like there's another traditional homeless guy who live or who, I mean, lives on a bench near there. And I never avoid him. He, he owns that bench. Like he's covered it. Basically, it's basically a tent. Now he's basically created like a shelter over this bench. And I never avoid him when he's there. He's never once, he's usually sleeping. Sometimes he seems drunk or something, but I never avoid him. But like, if I even see the silhouette of a homeless wigger on that street from 50 yards away, I go another way. Because they're usually taking up space. They're usually like in the middle of the sidewalk, like gesturing. And you just, you can see their silhouette under a street light 50 yards away and you know it's a homeless wigger. So if one of them approaches me or I'm near them, like I, I'm concerned about what they're going to do. Like the guy that I called the cops on for having his pants all the way down next to an elementary school on Father's Day while, boy, like while little boys were playing basketball at the elementary school. Homeless wigger, but he was a dark homeless wigger. All black clothes. Probably like talks about violence a lot. But those types of guys, like I just avoid them. I'm concerned about them. If they approach me at the gas station, it's a problem. I, I got my guard up. But when the the old traditional homeless guy who might be dead, you know, sadly, when he approached me at the gas station, it was really late at night and it was cold. I think it was winter. And he asked me if I had a blanket. And I was like, you know, I don't. And then I realized I had like this big, heavy beach towel in the car. I don't, I don't think it was a beach towel, but it was like, it was more than just the, the towels you, you use after the shower. It was like a, like a bigger towel than usual. And I was like, I have a towel. And I just gave it to him and he walked away. And it's always an interesting thing. You know, I'm not, I don't feel slighted by it. Like I'm not, you don't do that kind of thing to get accolades. Like I, I'm not bringing it up here two years later to get props from whoever's listening but it's an interesting thing where like when you give somebody like that something like they just like like take it from you and then walk away. Like they might not even say thank you. But they're not they're not operating in that world anymore. They're not operating in the world of please and thank you. So I don't take offense to it. Some people do. Like even like like people who are well-meaning, usually the types of people who like want to feel like a good person. Like I never want to feel like a good person when I do that. Like that was a really practical thing. Like that wasn't me wanting to feel like a good person. That was just like, he's looking for a blanket. I've got a towel. He's looking for a blanket. I'm, I've got a towel. He's a looking for a blanket. I've got a towel. My country music. <laughs> but it felt like a very practical thing. Like it, it was like math. That was math for me. I was like, I've got a towel. And you could tell he was like kind of unsure about it, but I'm like, I know this guy can use a towel. Whether he rolls it up and use it as, uses it as a pillow, whether he uses it as like a, for additional warmth, whether this guy needs an actual towel like when he, when he finds a shower. But I was like, here's a towel. 
but it was like he just like took it and walked away like didn't say anything it was just kind of cool like honestly i, I preferred that because like some people will do that for someone like he's such an asshole he didn't even say thank you oh i gave a homeless guy 50 dollars. he didn't even say thank you south park made fun of that south park had the the homeless episode where it's like they give them change and then immediately the homeless people ask for change again the same person that's what it's really like though because like they don't even know you they've dissociated from like you it's like brad pitt disease where they don't recognize faces talked about that on here before how brad pitt claims he has a disease that means that like this he can meet somebody but he'll, he can't remember their face he doesn't recognize them which i'm like that's a convenient disease for a celebrity who has people coming up to them all the time i'm sure brad pitt's had a million people approach him and go hey brad remember me hey remember we worked on a movie i was a i was an extra you know i'm sure he has a million people like that so it's convenient to make an announcement that's like i have a disease where i can't recognize people's faces that's a really smart move for a celebrity i think homeless people have that too brad pitt is a lot like homeless people where it's like they forget your face like immediately after they've talked to you and and they it's like you give them something and they're just like they walk away and then five, if you see them five minutes later, they might ask you for it again. Like if I had run into that guy five minutes later, he might have been like, do you have a blanket? Do you have a blanket? you have a blanket? Now this guy, he, there was no emotion left in his voice. There was no inflection. You know, it, like talking to this guy, you could tell it was just like pressing buttons to him. Whatever was, whatever was inside of him was just kind of flat. I hope he's all right, though. I don't know, though. You know, it's a, it's a weird thing to get into where I felt kind of sad a second ago. I felt actually really sad thinking about it, how I haven't seen him in a while. And I'm thinking, is that sad, though? Like, it's sad because this guy's lived a hard life and he might be dead. But it's like, if that guy died, is it the worst thing? Like, what would have happened with him? More years of suffering? Like, I don't want anybody to die. But I'm just like, like, should I feel sad about that if I, maybe I'll see him tomorrow, but I'm just like, I don't even know if that's like necessarily a bad thing because it seemed like this guy was committed to living the way he lived or just stuck there. Maybe somebody took him in. Maybe somebody got him some soup and a, a haircut and a brand new suit and tie. He's on a farm. I don't know. But yeah, you know, it, I was just like, is, is that, is it a, is it a terrible thing if something, if he did finally pass away? Because uh, would it have just been, because this guy didn't seem like things were going well. He's asking for people for blankets and he's getting towels in response. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, if life would have been any better for him. Glad we I worked in some dark stuff here. I worked in like whether maybe that homeless guy that I've seen around for years and kind of counted on. Interestingly, those guys give me a sense of comfort. <laughs> those traditional homeless guys, they give me this sense of comfort in a way. Like they're predictable. Like you know what to expect. You know what they're all about. Like they like to get drunk. They're not usually, maybe these days they are, but like they're usually not on weird drugs. 
they're just kind of old drunks. They're hobos. And when I see them, I, I don't feel alarmed at all. And yeah, they, whereas if it's a homeless wigger, it's just immediate. And when I was at the gas, this is a big event. A lot was going on at the gas station tonight. No, but I saw that guy earlier where like my intuition was like homeless wigger. And then I was like, maybe not. I second guessed myself. My intuition was he was a homeless wigger when I just saw him. And I was like, oh no, he's, he's just a guy walking to his car. But the body language back to that is what told me he was a homeless wigger. And then when I saw him approach a guy and ask about his car, which you don't do, you don't go up to people and do that. If you need a blanket, okay. If he was asking for a blanket, that'd be different. You might get a towel. But you don't go up to somebody at a gas station while they're pumping gas and start asking them questions about their car. And the, the dude with the car was just like this young, like 20-year-old surfer kid. And he was really good natured. He's like, oh no, I, you know, I, here's the, he's like, it's a funny story because uh, I bought it and it was this way. And then, you know, actually somebody ran into me and I replaced the bumper. He had like, he told the guy what he wanted to know, which was funny. That guy wanted to know about the bumper and that guy had a whole backstory for like how he got that bumper. But I looked in the car next to me too while I was there and I saw Justin Bieber. Not really, but I was talking the other day about like the how Justin Bieber not Justin Bieber doesn't have the homeless wigger look, but he has this like fake wigger, like this fake street guy look, and I love him. I love Justin Bieber. I love Trumpsfeld, I love Joe Obama bin Biden, and I love Justin Bieber. <laughs> and uh <laughs> it's true it's true. But uh, I was talking about how like Justin Bieber has neck tattoos and like somehow over time he, he started going for this like fake tough guy kind of wigger look, modern wigger, what we call modern wigger, capital M, capital W, and M-dub, M-W. But I looked in the car next to me and like there was this kind of like borderline, like definitely a junkie wigger, not a homeless wigger, but like on the spectrum because that's a spectrum. There's a homeless wigger spectrum. And like some of them are actually homeless and like really fucked up. But there's some who function somehow in society a little bit. And they use, they're usually deadbeats who live with their girlfriend. And I could tell that was this guy because his girlfriend was driving. She was pumping the gas. And he was just sitting in the passenger seat because they're always in the fucking passenger seat. Why are these guys on the wigger spectrum all these days always in the passenger seat? And they always look like they're just like waiting to get home to get high. Waiting to get home to get high. So I'll, I'll, I'll finish these. I'm, I'm done with these fucking songs, but it's cutting. See what I'm doing there? It's cutting. That's me inflicting pain on myself. When I sing little doodle, diddle, what, what do you call them? Ditties? When I sing little doodles. Are you singing a doodle? When I sing little doodles. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good example of like, that's like crispin clover getting something wrong like oh you're singing a doodle singing a ditty uh, you mean a doodle <laughs> but like th those guys like you see them and, and they're always wait uh, they're waiting to get home to get high and this guy I could tell that was the case he's like a bright red shirt a chain had a neck tattoo hat sideways hat or something and his girlfriend was like kind of fat maybe not fat but just like kind of 
just not good. You know, just something's not good with her. Probably the breadwinner. Because those guys are deadbeats who just, like, get fucked up all day and their girlfriend drives them around. <laughs> I've, ne- <laughs> I've never thought about that. This is the first time I've actually, con- like, as I'm saying this out loud, is the first time I've ever actually thought about the fact that those guys are always riding around in the passenger seat. Their girlfriends are always driving them around. Sometimes it's a hot girlfriend, too. Like, sometimes I'll see, like, with the hot girlfriends, they usually drive, like, a little Toyota Camry. They're usually in, like, a little car like that, and they're just driving their, their, their boyfriend on the wigger spectrum, which seems like it is a spectrum. Like, that seems like a, like a spectrum of mental illness or personality disorder. Like, the fact that so many of them are homeless now, too. The fact that, like, if I see a younger guy who's on the street who's, like, my age, there's a decent chance he's a wigger. It's like the guy that... Miles and I used to buy weed from this guy in college who... His name was Keith. And he... he was. I think I've told this story, but, like, he lived with his girlfriend. And, he, and you go over to his house, and there'd always be people there. He lived in an apartment. And he looked like he looked like a young weird owl. He had a really beautiful like his girlfriend was too beautiful for him. And he looked like this weird he looked like weird owl, a weird weird owl. Like curly dark hair, glasses. And this guy on the wigger spectrum who actually had schizophrenia. Like he actually had diagnosed schizophrenia because I met him a couple times. He would always be in and out of this guy's apartment. He would buy like really small amounts of weed at a time. The wigger guy would, um, the wigger guy. He he lived in the apartment above this guy, and he would come down, and he would buy like a five bowl. He would buy like five dollars worth of weed. Like he would basically just buy enough weed to smoke. Right then, it was like every time he wanted to smoke weed, he would just come down and buy a small amount. And I, I smoked weed with him. But he had come up with the nickname Blaze for himself. Because homeless wiggers do that constantly. They come up with nicknames for themselves. And I think his name was Justin. And Keith, the drug dealer, was like, oh, hey, Justin. And Blaze was like, no, 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 it's Blaze. I go by Blaze now. He pulled that whole thing. Like, it's Blaze now. And Keith was a really nice guy. He's like, okay, Blaze. Okay, Blaze. Okay, Blaze. But I was there once and we were oddly sitting at the dining. Like, for some reason, like, this was just a drug den. Because I found out they were into hard shit. Like, not the ecstasy is that hard. That's not what I'm referring to. But, like, there was one time when I was over there and his girlfriend was on Molly while we were just, Keith wasn't. But his girlfriend was on Molly and we were just there. Miles and I were there and like we were buying weed and we were all sitting on the futon in the bedroom, which I didn't like. There was just like their bed on, was just on the floor and it was a futon because this is a drug den. So of course they just have a futon on the floor. A futon on the floor. I, I should have known. Should have known this was just a drug den with a futon on the floor. They, they were on the futon, and he was, like, weighing out the weed, and we were smoking. Weighing out the weed. And his girlfriend was on Molly. And in front of us, he, like, because it was liquid Molly. 
and he had it in like a little jar or something, a container. And he like he was dipping his finger into it and then putting it in her mouth, and she was like sucking the the molly off of his finger, just like a little a little. She was already on it, so it was it was obviously like he wasn't giving her a lot. It was just kind of like a symbolic gesture or something. I who who the fuck does that? He wasn't on it. And they were telling us a story about like their best friend who's probably screwing his girlfriend, maybe with his consent. But they had this like best friend that it was like both of their best friend, who I think was kind of a wigger too. I don't know how I knew so much about these people. They weren't friends. Like I got referred to him by like a like a drug a drug dealer of mine was like going out of business and was just like, oh, call this guy. But like they were talking about their friend and they're like, oh, he he was driving our car in Seattle on heroin. And he got pulled over and like the car got taken away or something like that. And I, I just said at the time, I was like, oh, yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I've never touched heroin. And they both just like looked at each other and laughed. Like clearly they had tried it. It was like one of those little moments like we have. But she was on Molly and he's just like dipping his finger into it and sticking it in her mouth. Which who the fuck does that? Like I'm already bad enough with like PDAs if, whenever I've had a girlfriend, you know, like. I don't mind like a little bit of hand holding and like some affection, but not much. But with this, it was like, I can't imagine like Molly or no Molly, like sticking my finger in my girlfriend's mouth in front of people. And it wasn't like they were doing anything weird. It, it wasn't like, it wasn't like we were sitting there on the futon and Keith was like, my girlfriend's on Molly, let's gangbang her. You know, it wasn't like there was any come on, like it wasn't like there was any, it wasn't like you know, anything involving us being there. It had nothing to do with us. It was just some weird little moment between them that they did in front of us, like sticking his finger into like liquid drugs and putting it in her mouth. But he, he, what's weird is he did that with Blaze too. <laughs> What's weird is the schizophrenic wigger who lived above him, he dipped his finger in Molly and stuck it in his mouth. <laughs> but there was a time, like what I was going to say too, is, is like this was a drug den. Like they, they, this is the thing that really depressed me about my college drug dealers is – they lived in apartments that were so sparse. They were so sparse. Like you go over to their, their place and they'd have like a single, like they'd have like a, a nightstand in their living room that served as a table that was covered in like weed shake that had fallen out of joints, tobacco that had fallen out of rollies because they were always into rollies. And like garbage. <laughs> and then there'd be like a laptop sitting on it. Like a nightstand with just like garbage, flakes of weed and tobacco and like a laptop. A dirty, nasty laptop. A dirty, nasty laptop. And then they'd have nothing else in their house. It was just, you know, I get it. They're college kids, whatever. Like, they don't care. They're not planning on living there very long. But it always felt really depressing to be there, like, getting weed and getting high. 
Keith's place was kind of like that. Like it was very sparse. And then they, like I said, they had a futon in the bedroom. And like, why did he make us go in there to weigh out the weed? Like, why do we all have to sit on the futon? I think because he spent a lot of time on it. I think they just spent a lot of time fucked up, like sitting cross-legged on a futon, which would make me want to kill myself. But for some reason, they had like this fancy dining room table. There was like a wing of the kitchen that had just like a fancy, it was the most out of place thing. Like I doubt it was fancy, but like comparatively speaking, comparatively speaking, it was just this like fancy dining room table. And there's one time though, like I was sitting at the head of it for some reason and Miles was sitting next to me and we were like high out of our gourds at this weird, this weird place. And there were a bunch of people like coming and going because that was always a weird thing, like the politics of buying weed. Because some dealers are cool with just like, hey, come get in and get out. Like, I don't want to hang out with you all day. But other dealers are like, oh, no, smoke a joint with me. And sometimes you didn't want to like insult them. The politics of it, like I used to say, you got to powder their face a little bit. Like if your dealer's into some niche interest he wants to talk to you about, you act like you care. If your dealer wants to rant about like, what his sister said that pissed him off, you know, whatever, like you got to listen to it. You got to powder their face. You got to pretend to care. So they answer their phone when you call them. So like, I never knew when to leave. And I didn't want to, you didn't want to stay too long, like, because they might want you to come and go. But there was also like a a practical reason, because like, if they're, if they're bringing you into their house, and selling you weed, you don't want to come and go because it's suspicious. Like, it, you don't want it to look like he just has people coming and going quickly all day because people are going to know he's selling. And so I never knew how to deal with that. So Miles and I, like, we were there. Like, we didn't want to be there. Like, we did not want to fucking be there. But we were really. And I, also, though, like, the other thing is if your dealer got you high. I always got a million times more high because anytime you're in a foreign environment, you get way more high. That's the reason why people OD more often at home or if it's a spot they regularly shoot up in and things like that, because you don't feel as high at home. Like I've never done heroin, but the reason why junkies OD at home more likely is they, they need a much higher amount to get high, but because their mind knows they're at home, because their mind like expects it, like their mind knows like, oh, if I'm, if I'm sitting here, if I'm, if I'm in this place, I'm going to expect to get high. So I'm going to like put up a resistance. And so they take way too much. And I found that even with weed and alcohol and things where if you smoke weed or drink, you could be at home all night and you're like, I don't feel a thing. Like back when I drank and, you know, smoked more weed and stuff, I'd be at home all night just like taking bong rips and drinking taking just drinking straight out of a hard alcohol bottle and i wouldn't even feel anything maybe a little bit but i'd just be like eh, it's not working and then I'd, I'd leave the house even just walking outside my door i'd be like fuck i'm wasted especially if you go to a store or anything like i'm really fucked up so if you're at a dealer's house like you're not used to being there and you're probably uncomfortable Because I was never really friends with my dealers. I had maybe one friend my entire life 
I had like one dealer my entire life who I actually considered a real friend. These were just like acquaintances of acquaintances. And so you're uncomfortable. You might not even like this person. You don't know what the politics are of like coming and going. You have to pretend to like them and be nice. They often think they're Tony Montana. Like they think they're Pablo Escobar because they sell weed to college students. So you're de they have egos. Dealers would always have big egos. So Miles and I like were hanging out there. I think because we just didn't know what else to do. And like you get so high there though that you don't want to leave right away. That's the other thing. Like even though you want to leave and do your own thing, you don't want to hang out at your dealer's house or you don't like. Sometimes you get so high, like especially because dealers love to roll blunts and things like that. You get so high though that it's like, I can't drive yet. I can't leave yet. I'm too high to do anything. I'm too high to, I'm too high to function. And so you'd like need to adjust to, to the weed, especially if you hadn't smoked weed in a while. Like that would happen on occasion where like there'd be a dry spell and I couldn't find weed. So my tolerance would go down. And so the first time I had smoked weed in like a month is at the dealer's house and he's getting you really fucking high. And so you're really high out of your mind in addition to being uncomfortable and anxious in a place that's foreign to you. So you're just fucked. That's what happened at Keith's house. And like Miles and I are just sitting there out of our minds at this dining table. Like I'm sitting at the head of it and Blaze comes down and body language is body. He, he's like a rubber doll. Like he, he is, he's like the rubber man. If you told me that guy's, you know, shoulders were popped out of the socket, I would have believed you. He's like a cartoon character, like just rubber man, like just his body flailing all over. He has the physiognomy of a wigger, skinny. Like I said, there's a way that they look. And he got money from the government because he was, he told us he was schizophrenic. I'm not making that up. Like he, he straight up told us he was schizophrenic. And he, one day he decided he was, and he had a rap. Like one time he rapped in front of us. Of course he did. I don't remember what it was, but he rapped in front of us. I only met him twice. Maybe once. <laughs> it felt like twice. Maybe twice. I don't I don't remember. Who who the fuck knows? But he was buying like a five bowl from Keith, because he would like I said, he would buy really small amounts of weed at a time. I'm guessing that was smart for him though, because he probably couldn't stop smoking. It's like how people with Down syndrome can't stop eating and their parents have to like physically stop them. Like my neighbor had a nephew with Down syndrome. This is just references to everything, but my neighbor had a nephew with Down syndrome and I went to a barbecue there and his mom like made him a plate, but they had to stop him from eating and they explained it. They said like, oh yeah, we have to actually stop him from eating because if, if he has access to food at a barbecue, for example, he will eat until he is physically sick. He can't stop. Like there's no filter. Like even though all kinds of people overeat, it's not just overeating. Like if you have Down syndrome, I guess you truly can't stop eating. Like that part of your brain that says I've had enough doesn't kick in. His mom was at the barbecue and she was like, yeah, we have to actually like, like restrain him basically. Like we have to stop him from eating. We give him a plate with exactly what he's allowed to eat. And we have to like keep him away from the food after that. I think that's like, like schizophrenic people in tobacco. That's true. 
schizophrenics can't stop smoking. They just continuously like light up one cigarette after the next. It's like the constant stimulation is what it is. I bet that's true for Blaze and Weed as well. Where he was always coming down to Keith's to buy just like a five bowl. A five bowl. And uh, probably because if he if he bought more than that, I bet he would just smoke it all in one sitting. I'm not kidding. Like, I think that's a thing with schizophrenics. Like, if he bought that, he would just smoke the whole bag in one sitting. But this time he was buying it and he's like, Keith, he's like, you're my doctor. Yo, Keith, you're my doctor. And Keith's like, ha, 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 yeah. Yeah, like, and then he's like, like, Dr. Keith. He made it uncomfortable, though. He, like, he kept saying it. And then when he was selling the weed, he's like, no, you're my doctor. Like, this is my medicine. Like, you're my doctor. And he's like, you know what? He's like, I want you to write me a prescription. And he, and then Keith's like, oh, that's funny. And he's like, no, no. He's like, he got, and he grabbed a piece of paper. Or he got Keith to get one. He's like, no, I want you to write me a prescription for this. It got, like, it, it made me really uncomfortable. Because one, like you're doing a drug deal and putting it in writing, which, yeah, he's just selling him a weed. He's probably like, he's not writing on the prescription. Like, I am selling this man weed on this date. But still, like, it was just, he, Blaze got really serious about it. All of a sudden, he was like, no, 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 I want you to write me a prescription. And he actually forced Keith to write him a prescription on, on a piece of paper and like pencil. It's a pencil house. <laughs> like the, with the futon, like just the bedroom is just nothing in the room except a futon. There's nothing in the house. There's like a nice dining room table. And then there's just pencils. You write everything in pencil. But uh, <laughs> he actually, he made him write a prescription from Dr. Keith. So like I, I, in my mind, like I think that might even have been the last time I ever went over there. Like I found another dealer or something, not because of that, just did. But it was like Dr. Keith. That even feels like it is something. Like, is there a famous person called Dr. Keith? This guy's not famous. He should be. Dr. Keith sticking his finger in a jar, a, 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 a vial of Molly, and sticking it in his girlfriend's mouth. And she like sucked it off his finger. It wasn't sexual so much as sensual. Like, she didn't suck on his finger like it was a you-know-what. She sucked on it in this, like, sensual way, which is almost worse. Like, if she started sucking on his finger like a you-know-what, it'd be absurd. But, like, this was sensual. And he sort of, like, he made a noise or something. Like, uh, mmm. Like, why would you do that in front of people? And Miles went there once without me, and Keith's mom was there. And she was just like a trashy middle-aged lady. And I guess she was cool with her son selling drugs. But the thing was, they were into all kinds of shit. It was, it, what was going on there was bad. Birdie. Are you going to vote for Birdie? I want you to... Dr. Birdie. More cutting. Anyway, I'm going to bed.
This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave, this golden land to me. And when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains, I see a land where children can run free. So take.